Welcome to Exploring Digital with Per, a podcast for entrepreneurs and CEOs who want their businesses to benefit from a digital-first approach. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Exploring Digital with Per. I'm joined today by Alex Minchin from Zest Digital. Hi, Alex. Hey, Nick. So do you want to kick us off by telling us a little bit about Zest and what makes you guys so special? Sure, yeah. So um, I founded Zest in 2010, so we should be celebrating, uh, celebrating a decade on June the 18th. Um, some way to celebrate it, I'm sure. But uh, we basically build online marketing funnels uh, end-to-end for mostly B2B businesses selling quite high-ticket services. Um, what makes us so special? We, we do the whole lot. So we're not linked to any one um, particular technology or brand, like HubSpot or anything like that. Um, so we connect to come with the best technologies, the best um, channels uh, for each client individually. Um, we do end-to-end, so we manage the traffic source, uh, which is normally paid social, um, PPC and SEO, through to the landing page development design, conversion optimization. Um, mm-hmm. I guess another thing that we kind of do that I don't see done a lot is that we actually like forecast revenue before we start with any client. So we work from the revenue goal backwards to um, kind of reverse engineer that into what that looks like in terms of traffic and conversions. And then we follow that process through until we understand how many leads we need to get at various um, different conversion rates and different traffic rates. So we normally come up with three scenarios per account. And, um, and that way we kind of have a lot more predictability in what we can get for a client. So when we work with someone, we know what the end goal is, because as long as everything we do follows, um, we work in like tests, as long as every test follows a strategy and works towards the objective, the objective is linked completely to the revenue goal at the end. So we can be a bit more confident about the work we do. It just means that every task we do has a purpose rather than being a task for for a sake of a task. Very cool. So I see you, like you're referred to as a digital growth agency. Is that accurate? Uh, uh, yeah. yeah, so um, to be honest, there's no real difference between any of these names. Uh, we were yeah. referred to as digital marketing. For me, digital marketing is getting a bit bland and a bit kind of samey. So a way of kind of differentiating ourselves. It's a good way of distinguishing, yeah. Yeah, it was just a really, a, it, it, was, um, it was a moment in time where you know, we reflected on, well, what are we actually doing? Digital marketing is doing, um, whereas the growth part is really, you know, central to what we do because yeah and signifies that the strategy that goes into it absolutely everything has to has to end up with growth otherwise we're not going to be around for long so you mentioned that that progressed from being broader digital marketing so has that been your kind of existence for 10 years that it was always a it was end-to-end and it was digital marketing or is that something you've evolved into uh, it was always digital marketing so it has evolved over that time so i started with pure SEO. Uh, I've done SEO since I was like 12 years old. So it's been a long time. Um, and then keyword that, stuffing, right? <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So I, I even did, um, I even did pop-up spam back in the day and earned affiliate income mm. from it. So I've seen the darker sides and the, and the lighter sides. So we're on the light side now. Um, so the, the main thing was that we did SEO and then out of that, you know, working with small budgets and small businesses, normally the websites were terrible and yes. it be a case of like, well, we can't work with it, but we need the business. So can we do your website for you as well? And, you know, from there you kind of, I guess, bolt on different services 
as you're kind of growing as a business. And then, you know, as the years went on and we were a bit more stable and established, we started to remove some of those services and really kind of focus down on uh, really paid and uh, I say search engine marketing, including SEO and paid the paid side. We bought in paid social um, because of the power it has uh, and the kind of affiliation with just paid work in general. Um, and we moved, we, we do web design. We've done web design for a, for a long time, but we're slowly moving away from developing websites. Um, and we're really putting, we still do it, but we're, st- we're putting all of our focus into developing um, landing pages and complete funnels so that, you know, we're bored of, we're bored of, um, we're bored of creating like about us pages. You know, it's just not, yeah. it's not exciting. So every page we do has to have a purpose um, and lead towards a conversion event. And we try and make sure that it's, you know, step-by-step step and trackable throughout. Completely. But I, I think there's, it's interesting that you've seen that as a trend because it feels like so much of B2B marketing is about the the landing page and the funnel. It's not about the inbound SEO of landing somewhere on a, you know, on a content page and then navigating around a site and expecting that there will be this journey that turns into something. It's how am I getting them through that funnel? Yes, definitely. I think... Uh, the problem with a website is they're always t- you always talk about yourself on a website. If we've been around for this long, we do this, we're good at this. Yep. Here's the services that we offer. And when a, when a client lands on a website, you are effectively letting them walk into the shop and just completely browse on their own. And mm-hmm. a lot of the time people can get distracted. They can get lost. They can just forget what they've done. And with the, added constraints of a shorter you know we have we've got a short attention span and and less time to do things so it could be something as simple as being cooled down for dinner or you know the train journey ends and you're now home so you put that phone in your pocket so because of that websites are like they're just incredibly distracting places and with a funnel exactly what you said you could just nurture people to each stage and you have complete transparency of um, where they are within your within your funnel, but also you're reducing the number of distractions and um, exit points on at any one point in time. So when someone lands on the next stage, they can only take action, the action that you want them to take, or they exit. So it's very crystal clear how well something is performing, and therefore you can then make the changes that make it, that will improve it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's just part of a general trend of sort of design and build being on the decline, but the, the digital marketing or digital growth, as you call it, being on the up. But if you're not delivering functionality of some sort or a service through that site, what is the purpose of it? You know, yeah. you've got to really think carefully about it. We've added, um, we've added, or we're, we're in the process of adding uh, kind of more outreach services as well. So um, more kind of cold email outreach, which is being, you know, it's incredibly effective at the best of times, um, more so than people think. And, actually we're starting to expand that a little bit more now because because of the situation we're in you know email absolutely is, yeah that's a great a great way of reaching someone um things like cold calling are just falling flat because you know where do you phone someone are, are their phones linked to their house you know it's just a bit kind of mm. crazy at the minute that or you end up in a queue or uh, some sort of ivr waiting to to actually get through to someone so yeah email and uh, and linkedin in particular seems to have been such a big um opportunity over the last few months Definitely. so um well let, yeah let's let's talk about what's happened since covid so you mentioned earlier that um it was quite well timed for you as an agency just internally with the fact that you'd just gone to a remote only model anyway 
Uh, so you, you know, being ahead of the curve must have been lovely. Yes, yeah, it was. Um, it was definitely more luck than judgment. Um, we last year, so last August, I started thinking about whether we needed an office and some of the challenges that we were going through at the time. Um, the biggest challenge we have being based in rural Oxfordshire is the access to talent. Um, and there's lots of dynamics within that. So, um, you know, the cost of living is high. The, the, the population is small. Um, so you're constantly going through these challenges where, you know, some of the younger guys that come up, come on and join you might be really good, but at some point they have to think about themselves and, you know, where are they going to live and how are they going to buy a house? And so we constantly kind of not, I wouldn't say gone, we went through a churn, but we went through this period of, um, twice actually where we knew we knew that churn was coming and it was a natural churn after sort of two to three years but it was the cost and the time and the stress of being able to um, recruit freely to be able to replace those people um, you know in such a way that made it kind of at some points where some people weren't the right fit for our business you know I swept it under the carpet because it was easier to just nod and nod and get on with it than to actually do something about it and to um you know to actually check make a change and it was taking six to nine months to you know replace uh even at the exec level oh wow very um, long yeah. you know, to get the right person in was a long time so it was really the recruitment Did that often involve relocation as well or was it just a case of there weren't that many people in the area or are you trying to get yeah. people to move in it's you know what we we were based just north of oxford in a place called kidlington um the number of people that do digital to a high standard who happen to be available, who happen to live within half an hour of our office was yeah. too small. And that was really the, that was something that I kind of battled with a couple of years ago, in fact, like four years ago. And last year I went through the same problem again. And I was like, if I, I can't go through this again, if I do it again, I'm just going to lose patience and interest. And instead I looked at, well, if I remove the problem of talent and talent acquisition and that side of it, then that means that I can focus on the other things that, that you know, help us to achieve our goals and help me to achieve, you know, my goals as well as a business owner. So so that, that happened around October where I made that actual decision to do it. And then we announced it to the team in January. And we very quickly ramped up from Jan uh, to the end of Feb. Feb 28th was our cutoff point. Um, March the second was our Independence Day. No broadband contracts, no office, you know the rest of it. So um, we we kind of went from two to three to four to five days a week, very very quickly, so that everybody could adapt and adjust. Um, and then we had those days in the office to be able to then go over stuff. Um, we kept work from home diaries, so we made those uh, compulsory, which means that as people are working from home. They have to then record, they have to record, you know, it could be something positive or negative, um, doesn't matter which, just sum up the morning and the afternoon. So we have things like really simple problems like, um, you know, I, I, I don't have an extension cable long enough, but that's easily solved. And it's a very valid mm-hmm. bit of feedback. So it, we had stuff like that. And then we had things like, um, you know, we I thought communication would be much harder, but actually it's a lot easier because everyone's more descriptive and has to explain themselves more and the notes are clearer. So it was, it was really nice. Um, it was a nice thing to have that kind of 
extra time to adapt over this period. So, I, yeah, I really feel for some companies who have had to do that in, you know, a week or two. Absolutely. So you mentioned you and it was something you'd announced to the team. So I, I did a similar exercise probably six months ago where I said, is this something that people would be prepared to do uh, <clears throat> rather than I, it was something I was considering, certainly. And there was pushback, which surprised me. And there were a number of people who said, uh, I would prefer to come to, to the office. And I think part of that was, was possibly, you know, we were central London rather than uh, rather than rural, rural setups. And it was, you know, people liked coming in too because there was other other things going on in their lives that, you know, they could do when they're in London, whether that was the gym or social life. Um, but what's interesting is, is, you know, having seen how that's how it's been adopted the other side and how people are actually kind of happy with, with the fact that this happened. So was there any pushback in your team or, or were people pretty uniformly happy to accept it? There, there definitely was, um, uh, there was pushback. Um, I think one of the things that we did to mitigate that was we considered all of the challenges that all of the challenges and all of the concerns that people might go through so, you know, we have the same concerns. So when I say we, I mean me and my leadership team. Um, and, you know, we looked at kind of, okay, so if someone's someone's going to miss the social aspect, someone's going to miss that face-to-face communication. So when that's, when that's the case, you know, we looked at how we could then answer that question up front. So for us, it was about planning regular events and making sure there's always an event on the horizon so that someone has something to look forward to. We use things like buddying up and um, having team meetings face to face to try and get around some of those things. So <clears throat> it made it a lot easier because when we had the actual meetup, and we also kind of tricked the team a little bit, which sounds <laughs> sounds bad, but we, we, said, we said to everyone, work from home today in the morning and then come and meet us in the afternoon and we're going to have an offsite session. And as people arrived, we were like, oh, how's your day been? And we got answers like, oh, man, if, I, if only I could work from home more because I, I was so productive this morning. So it kind of teed us up, um, which wasn't the, it wasn't kind of the idea, but it worked really nicely. And, yeah, so when, when we delivered it to the team, we basically said, look, here's some of the concerns that you might be thinking. And we went down the list. And then we said how we were already planning to mitigate them. We'd taken into consideration the... Um, the things like the work from home diary so we said you know this is your opportunity to make sure that that transition period allows us to get rid of some of those kinks that might come and we said you know we were really honest and just said that this isn't going to be for everyone but the perks for us where we are and I totally understand the London thing um, you know a lot of it's the social aspect you finish in London you cut you pop out the door you cross the road you're at a, you're at a pub or a coffee shop or at the gym for us we had everyone had a half an hour, you know, commute or more. Uh, so it was really about winning that time back and um, kind of, yeah, the office wasn't as much of a pull, even though it was a really nice office. It, it, at the end of the day, it was in, in an industrial estate in rural Oxfordshire, you know? So um, I think we did have pushback and I think the, the key there was really we gave, we made, we, we made that an open thing. And we gave people time and the tools to be able to give honest feedback with no judgment. That was another key. So uh, being slightly ahead of the curve, you mentioned your, you, you, the original plan was that there would be more away days or more events or, th- or things like that. What would you say, having 
been through a, you know, a little bit of that being an option and now that isn't an option. Are there, are there things that you are recommending that your team uh, do? You know, are there things that you look forward to or are there ways that you're spending the money that you're saving on an office with your team in, in interesting ways and are there sort of tips you'd give people for, for things they should be considering with their teams? Uh, yes. So um, the event side has obviously not gone to plan, um, but we've just shifted it in some ways. So for example, next Wednesday, we're doing a team picnic. The weather's supposed to be good, fingers crossed. Uh, and my, our, our kind of, um, our EA, who was our office manager. So one of their job role shifts was to go, you know, one of their concerns, her concerns was very valid. You know, we don't have an office. What's my job? So um, we took the office management part away from her um, and just replaced it with um, coordinating team events. So because we can't do the physical stuff now, we do, we do team challenges. So every day we do, um, and it's optional, it, uh, we do like team, we're doing team squats at the minute, but we did team press-ups beforehand. Oh, wow. And we measure everything, we graph everything. So at the start of the squat challenge, we were at 63 average squats across the people doing it. We're now at 127. Uh, That's pretty good. Which is pretty mental, yeah. Um, people doing like, people are knocking out like 180 squats in you know in one sitting i'm not at that level yet so so that's been really good um press-ups was the same where you know we, we just had a hundred press-up challenge and next wednesday we're doing a picnic so uh, rachel is organizing that with you know with the team members everyone's going to cook something nice we're going to extend lunch and we're just going to have a zoom call and you know really just sort of zone out for a bit enjoy the sun uh, i think one of the other things in the situation we're in right now is to respect that you don't have to work a working day. Um, you know, yeah, of course. A, two, a two hour lunch is absolutely fine. And it's the, the boost in morale and the social aspect is worth far more than just having that boundary of having an hour for lunch or. Yeah. It's hardly the time for clock watching. Uh, no, not. And there's no FaceTime to be had. Yeah. So I, I guess the other area I wanted to chat with you was that uh, chat through with you was that, not only as a, as a business have you had to deal with this, but you're involved in uh, you know lots of B2B marketing and, and what your perspective was on how your clients have seen their business uh, hampered in terms of you know leads being generated, income being generated through through sites or digital marketing, and whether you've uh, you've had to sort of shift what you're offering to be able to support them better. Yeah, so um, we we've had I mean I like different agencies i'm sure we're not the only ones but we we definitely have been impacted um a lot of our clients sort of supply chains just you know just kind of fell off the bandwagon a little bit um we had a couple of clients who were reliant on events um for supplying those mm -hmm. and that really hit them hard so um at the same time we didn't we didn't kind of fall off a cliff edge you know we 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 kind of went in waves of um you know, paused accounts. We really work with the clients and, you know, I think the key thing is having that communication. So our, we basically split our teams. Um, I mentioned before, um, before this call around kind of the scenario planning we put in place. Um, and then one of those things was to really split our team and to redefine our team into retention and promotion. And they're the only two things for me that matter right now. Uh, and it was, a really simple way of just saying your job is to look after clients and to make sure they're okay. And that involves, you know, giving our clients calls every, at least every other day, 
just staying close to them, trying to help them as best we can. And the other side of the um, other people in the promotion team, your job's to win business and it's to give stuff away for, give value away for free, make connections, try and help people out and where you can try to generate some, you know, some revenue and some leads. Um, in terms of like restructuring our business or our offers, um, one of the things we did was gear up for lower, a lower entry point. So typically a year ago to work with Zeth, you would have to come in as a client spending, you know, upwards of £10,000 to be able to work with us. And there was no kind of try before you buy. There's no trial period. There's no, there's nothing like that. So that's fine when you build trust and you have that kind of relationship that builds up over time, married up with some reputation. At the moment, it's it's in the client, you know, you have to work with the clients and the prospects that are out there and the businesses. So the things like things like restructuring our contracts so that, you know, people aren't tied in as much is really important. Um, we reduced the barrier to entry by look, looking at how we could rework some of our services and um, almost productize certain parts of it so that they only had to do that bit. Um, we've also released a new service called Infinity, which um, which helps to fill the voids within our team, which was which has been really really good for us. Um, a lot of a lot of interest. We've won three clients already in two weeks. And, you know, the idea behind that was really to to get to help businesses with what they need right now, which is quick promotion at an affordable cost. Um, But for us, that also helps to build our pipeline, our future pipeline, because they might not be ready now, but those clients are paying customers with us. And in time, as long as we do a good job, we will, you know, we might be there when they need something more, hopefully. Absolutely. And it feels sort of alien or counterintuitive because so much of agency culture for the last few years has been about, you know, paid discovery phases and, and not doing any speculative work. And it is sort of backpedaling slightly on that. But I think it's a situation that everyone finds themselves in, certainly. Yeah, I think so. Um, I think one of the key bits, you know, for me is I'm, I'm all about sort of patterns, trends and systems, really. I'm a bit nerdy like that. But one of the key things for me and, you know, what I mentioned to the team is we have to generate a winning momentum. That's really, really important is, you know, when everyone's losing business and kind of, you know, bits of you are falling off every week and, you know, it's hard. Um, and to generate a winning mo- momentum and winning mentality, no matter how small that is, yeah. and the confidence that brings to you. and a, a, yeah. winning, winning any new client right now or bringing in any new piece of work is, is an achievement and that should be celebrated. Exactly. Yeah. So you mentioned earlier that uh, a growing area of the business was uh, email as, as a source of lead generation. Uh, and I just wanted to ask a little bit more about how you'd structured that. And so was that a trend that you were observing anyway? And, has that ramped, and how has that ramped up uh, over the last couple of months? Uh, so that's really, really, really early days. Um, we haven't launched it yet. We've got, uh, we've got one proposal out at the moment, which, um, which features it as a way of generating, um, it's generating interest for PPE material, you know, PPE, uh, PPE yep. equipment, um, which is, you know, kind of restricted on advertising platforms still. So um, the way that came about was actually doing it for ourselves. Um, we do quite a bit of outreach and we have quite a bit of success from it. 
Um, and then also just figuring out because we work with B2B, yes, we can advertise on the normal platforms, but actually if we really want to hit someone um, with a message, then that is a very valuable part of a funnel and we shouldn't just ignore it to say that we do PPC and SEO you know, we, we've, we've got experience doing it for ourselves. So we're looking at where we are right now is um, processing that out completely and then working out how we can then start with a small, uh, small batch outreach for clients. So small batch being, you know, up to a thousand, out, a thousand emails or messages a month. Uh, and, that, and that means a thousand data rows as well. So it's fairly low scale. Yeah, understood. So something that could be a growing area of interest for you for you over time. Do you, um, is that sort of going to be in conjunction with any of the social approaches? I mean, I've, I've spoken to people who've, who've said that social has been a big thing for them over the last couple of months in terms of lead generation. Does it work hand in hand with that side of it for you? Yeah. So the, the, the key way it marries up is by doing smart outreach and making sure the message is, you know, really spot on, making sure that there's you know, an offer that is attractive to the person that you're trying to outreach to, um, those things will then generate the traffic. And then once they're on the website, we can then activate things like remarketing, retargeting to then, then they're in. Yeah, of course. You know, that, first, that first initial interaction can unlock so many other ways of uh, acquiring different sort of touch points with an audience so that you can be in front of them, you know, for the next 30, 60, 90 days, however long it takes, uh, and and really, just it's a great way of doing that um, because things like chatbots as well, you know, people landing on, you can then greet people with a customized message once they've interacted with you. So, yes, for an example, let's say let's say you're a business selling PPE equipment, you would outreach to generate um, interest in seeing your pricing menu, for example. The pricing menu is gated by an email as soon as they've given you that data. One, you have a very soft lead, um, but a lead nonetheless. Secondly, you have the remarketing capability to then um, push them through to the next stage. Uh, and really, like, you can, you can then reach that person um, with multiple, you know, multiple messages that you'll get in those touch points that allow you to progress that person. So, yeah, it's, um, it definitely does, t- like, dovetail with a lot of other channels. As an agency that has part of its core model of setting a an expectation of revenue generated from a marketing campaign and then working backwards to set the strategy, do you think that's something you'll still be able to do with such uncertainty in markets, with businesses facing so much turmoil, with the economy losing a quarter of its value? Um, or do you think it's going to have to, to change at all to be able to, to match that? Yeah, I, I don't see us changing because it is fundamentally the core of what we do and what we believe in. And, um, you know, I've been around long enough now where I see the people that aren't necessarily the best they can be. The reasons that normally falls down to is because then they don't have a goal. They don't have a very clear goal and they're not accountable for a goal. So the way that we work gives us that clarity and it means that we can connect with our client to make sure we're going towards the same thing. Once we have the revenue goal, it has to then boil down you know, really translate into a traffic and a conversion goal. If we achieve X number of people through the door and convert Y, we we will be somewhere close to that revenue goal. Now, there's lots of moving parts within that. There's the quality of the traffic, the quality of the conversions, 
the value of the conversions, etc. But by having the goal, it means you're always working towards it. And the things that you're improving are always working towards that common, the common goal between you. Um, I think if we took that away, then we would fall back into a sense of, you know, saying, oh, we're working on these rankings and we're going to try and get you to this position. You know, it's, too, it's so volatile. It's just a poor goal for me. Uh, and I, I much prefer having a target and not hitting it than not having a target at all. Completely, yeah. And, and so much of business recovery is business growth anyway. If you're, not, if you're just thinking short-term recovery, then what's the, the longer-term vision? And hopefully they're aligned. Yeah, 100%. I, I always say like you have to think about your future pipeline. It's not what you have there now. We've gone through this. I'm sure many businesses have that will be listening to this where you know, you're so, you're, you go through these periods where you win lots of business, you've got a heavy pipeline, it's all great, and some of it closes and some of it doesn't, and you haven't been working on your future pipeline and you find yourself thinking, <laughs> you know, what, what's left? Where do I go now? Um, so always having that in mind. And I think the businesses yep. that survive this period and, you know, we're far from over it, but I think the businesses that will survive and will thrive at the other end are those thinking about how do they adapt for their new customer, you know, rethinking their customer. Um, it's not, they're not the same people as they were three months ago or however long it's been, lose track. Um, you know, how has their life changed? You know, how does working from home make them different? Have they got kids? Does that mean it's more stressful? Do they need less time on video calls or, um, you know, an easier to digest way of presenting information? So I think that by adapting those things and just really like sticking to the numbers and working with the numbers that are coming, seeing patterns that emerge, for me, the patterns give you so much insight because you're talking about a uh, a a collection of people or, you know, or whatever, um, you're talking about lots of data that is showing the same trend. And that's something that's interesting to me because it's not always accurate, but it gives you something to dive into. And then you start to go into the detail. One of the other things I've seen is people overthinking, overthinking, overreacting to the crisis. Um, you know, it almost feels like irresponsible of me to say it, uh, but I just think if people took a deep breath at the start and just waited, you know, a week or two for to really see what's happening, then, you know, it'd be a bit less chaotic. I think it's stabilised now, um, but it's easy to panic in these times, but it's, you panic when you don't know what you're looking for a lot of the time. Absolutely. But if, you, but if you spend the first couple of weeks coming up with the strategy of, well, how can we do a lower price point that gets people in and still works on that long-term pipeline, then that's, you know, a better use of time than panicking and slashing your staff and then realizing it's harder to come back from. hundred percent. You know, this knee, knee jerk reactions don't, don't win anyone anything really, because um, yes, you, you know, everyone's needed to make cutbacks on certain things. And, you know, some people are thriving and they've got the other issue, which is how do they, you know, growing so fast, how do they deal with it um, whilst working from home? So there's lots of different challenges at play. And I think for me, and what I mentioned earlier is just we've always been analytical in our mindset. So um, I like to look at I like to look at scenarios. I like to look at patterns. I like to try and make sense of what I'm seeing, and then react accordingly um, and try and plan as much as I can, you know, for the future. But knowing that certain things are going to be uncertain as well. So to give you a real life, uh, to put that into context and to give you a, a real example, 
um, we split our pipeline into two. So we have our normal pipeline, which we work from on a, you know, and have done for years. And we use two metrics, which is quality score and gut feel to give us a head and a heart um, mm-hmm. score per deal that we have on. And understandably at the moment, that is all over the place. So from having those metrics, you know, if we hit a certain quality score and a certain gut feel, we can then forecast that deal in as more likely to close. Because of COVID-19, that has really shaken the ability to work with that metric. So what we've done, rather than change the pipeline and change how we've always done things, um, and it, you know, we might well change it in future if it continues like this, but for now, we've split the pipeline out. So we have a, we have a C19 pipeline, which we, which we use. It's an exact copy of our existing pipeline, but we have more license to be able to make, um, you know, to be able to guess what's going to happen because that's ultimately what we're doing. So, you know, to say if, if on the normal pipeline, we said, oh, you know, what's the gut feel, everyone? And one of our account managers might say, oh, you know, I just don't know. Maybe it's, I don't know, 10% because they're not feeling confident. So if, by having a C19 version, we have a, well, what if that did come in? You know, what if they have yep. a week next week and that comes in? So we can then marry the two. So we can see like a min and max almost in terms of what we can expect. And it just, again, creates another um, another sort of, another pattern, another trend, another, another of course, yeah. foresight of what, what's coming. I think it's so critical because I feel I fear that there are lots of agencies who, you know, if you're basing or businesses in general, if you're basing your projection for your business on your bad feeling that day, then you're not going to be able to respond quickly enough to scale up as the business does come in. And that could be the thing that finishes you off rather than allows you to, to thrive. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mentioned before that we have uh, scenario plans. So, you know, scenario planning and, um, making sure that we're equipped for what happens is, is really important. We have a best, worst and expected scenario plan set. Uh, and effectively we're saying if, you know, some of our clients have paused with us, um, a challenge that a lot, most agencies, I guess, are, are going through. Um, what happens if they don't come back? What happens if they say we're paused, but you know, we're going to come back and it, and it just never happens. They, they might go bust or they might decide that actually they don't want to come back. What happens if everyone came back and we started to grow with some of the new services and everything went to kind of plan? Um, and then we have an expected scenario plan too, which is really taking a combination of the both and saying, okay, well, we don't think this client's going to be ready. You know, they've been hit so hard that we just don't think yep. we'll be back in two months. So it might be six, it might be 12, it might be never. Um, but one client who is you know, literally just trying to get their, um, their C bills loan through, you know, had to pause because they have to be shown to be doing absolutely everything to cut costs and, and, um, you know, save their own business before they get approved that loan. So we had that conversation where he was like, look guys, I'm coming back. I just need to basically cut everything, get my loan in and then we'll be back. You know, he's got guarantees from the bank that you know they're they're gonna help him through it and all the rest of it so you've got on in that in that instance we've got an almost guaranteed you know client coming back to us in which case we can then put that in the expected and in the best not but also the worst so it just helps us to know where we are in any point of time 
That's super interesting. And I think there have been some really, really good suggestions in there, things that any business can, can take on board and, and work on. So, uh, Alex, thank you so much for talking to me today. It's been really, really helpful. Thank you very much for having me. Cheers, Nick. Pleasure. Well, thanks, everyone, for joining another episode of Exploring Digital with Per. We'll see you again next time. Thanks. Thanks for joining. Remember to subscribe and follow us and to share today's insights with other businesses you know who want to stay relevant in a digital-first world.